Welcome to the Community for Coaches podcast, where we have honest discussion about the role of coaches and how they can intentionally and effectively use sports to transform lives. This is episode number 10, and I am your host, Alec Lemon. Today, Ryan Kruskowski and I are going to be interviewing John O'Sullivan. He is a well-known speaker and writer for the youth sports and coaching world. I've been familiar with John's work for some time, and so has Ryan, and we just really enjoy all of his speaking and writing that he does. Um, he's, he's a unique uh, writer, and that he's both someone who's done a lot of research and, and is, knows his stuff, and also still lives in that coaching world, still works at the grassroots level, still working on learning and mastering his craft as a coach. And so the conversation is great today, and I know you're going to enjoy it, so let's get to it. All right, I am here with John O'Sullivan. Um, he is pretty much a, an expert, world-renowned expert on coaching and transformational coaching and travels around the world doing that. So we are super blessed to have him on the podcast with us today. Ryan and I are, are pretty excited. So, so what have you kind of been up to recently, John? Um, I, th- I think it would be interesting to kind of hear how you went from being a, a soccer player to a coach to now kind of a, a speaker and an uh, influencer in that world. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks for having me on. And Ryan, always good to chat with you. I, it was probably at least a year or more that you were on my way of champions podcast at this point. So yeah. we probably haven't chatted except via email since then. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny, Alec, you say um, the, the word expert and it's funny, Jerry, and I, my, my partner on the podcast, we always kind of cringe at that word. <laughs> and we, we were reading this great thing the other day on sort of leadership. And it was talking about the difference between being an expert and then a catalyst yeah. level leader and above. And, a, and a, you know, an expert is someone who comes into the room and has all the answers. Mm-hmm. A catalyst is someone who knows that people have the answers inside them and our job is to draw them out. Right. And I really feel like when I go and and speak and travel and work with coaches and work with parents deep down, they have a lot of the answers inside them. And I don't want to be the, the sage on the stage. I just want to, you know, I, (laughs) Jerry and I always say like, you know, when people are like, we want to do a Q and a panel, um, we're like, yeah, you ask the question and we make you answer it. Like, that's what we want our panels to be, you know, because I think people really know and, and uh, I think you guys probably find the same thing with a lot of the coaches that you meet. They're just looking for permission to actually think and coach a certain way. You've been doing the, the Changing the Game project for how long now? Um, really, God, seven years now or so. Um, sort of the idea was in 2012. Um, I put pen to paper on a book in 2013. Um published the book in 2013 and then really sort of 2014 where it started taking off and did a Ted talk and the blog got really popular and, um, and stuff like that. So yeah, it's a, it's a number of years now and my work has taken me from, as Ryan said, the middle of Kansas to, I just got back from a whirlwind tour from Oregon to Beijing to Hong Kong to Sydney and back home. Wow. So, John, you mentioned you mentioned your book, Changing the Game, and, you know, 2013, 
kind of a banner year then, right? Um, but could you talk about what prompted you to, I mean, what were you seeing that, that prompted you to, to write that book in the first place? I mean, yeah, I mean, yes, Ryan, you know, I see in um, a lot of my colleagues in the coaching world having the same issues, which is, you know, how do we get good information to parents and coaches, especially around this idea of um, mindset? I love, you know, I I love I I forget the was Bobby Jones or something. The golfer said all 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 golf's played on a five inch course. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think this is every sports played on a five inch field between your ears. And so we need to train our athletes that way. And what I really recognized at that point was that the environment that the adults create is the greatest influence on performance of the kids. And when we get, when we take the right perspective and create the right conditions and um, help them develop confidence and communicate the right way and give them ownership, that's, that's when they're going to perform their best. And that's when they're going to perform up to their potential. And I felt like there was not a ton of resources out there for parents to know how to do that. And so I ended up writing and researching the book. I knew I wanted to go speak on this topic and um, you know, I figured if I was going to be a speaker, I better know what I'm talking about. So <laughs> researching and writing a book was a great way to really add to my knowledge base. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I didn't realize you really started in 2013 because in 2014 was the first year, um, at the soccer club that I helped start and now run. Um, we showed, uh, some of your videos and we, and we've started every single year since 2014 we've done we've showed like your TEDx talk um and mm-hmm. discussed it with our parents and it's had a massive massive influence on our club um since since we started doing that and i think it's affected the whole Kansas City culture um of youth soccer um just because our club has grown and influenced you know the whole system in a sense Mm-hmm. And so I'm mm-hmm. very grateful. And I think, um, yeah, I think it's made a massive difference. So I'm really appreciative of your work. And I think it's had an well, impact since you very first started. I think. It, it yeah, I think so. I mean, the the message is timeless, right? Love your kids. Yeah. Right. This is not rocket science. Sure. Right. And um, and I think as well that what's important is, you know, as you found this is what most parents want to do. Yes. This is what most parents want permission to do, right? That no parent signs up and goes, God, I hope we act like idiots in the stands this year. Right. right. Like, God, I hope we don't get along. God, I hope the coach bullies my kid. Right. Mm-hmm. So deep down, this is what we want. And we really just, the only way you replace fear is with information. And um, if we give parents enough information and we give it to them over and over again, and what you're doing is great. Hey, we're, we're going over this again every year, just like with our soccer team. We don't skip fitness this year because we did it last year. Yep. No, this is a necessary thing that we review and we go over and we remind people that this is how we do things here. Yep. And um, that's why it's working. You know, it's not a one-time thing. It's an all-time yeah. thing. And some people are like, we're doing it again. And it's like, yep, we're doing it again. <laughs> we're doing it every single year. So, And there's other great talks out there and other yeah. great stuff. I mean, certainly I don't have the, the corner on that market. And so I'm always like, 
you know, find whoever you want, bring sure. in whoever you want. I mean, you guys do amazing work. The Positive Coaching Alliance does amazing work. Mm-hmm. Proactive Coaching does amazing work. There's plenty of voices to help you, you know, echo the message and, and, and say it again. Um, so I hope my TED Talk's not getting boring for people, <laughs> but maybe it is. <laughs> no, I think it's good. I mean, we, we've, we've always changed it up a little bit in kind of how we try to apply it and talk about it and discuss it. But um and we always have new people joining and, and that's a part of it too. But yeah, I think it's, it's, it's been very good. Um, can you share a little bit more about, I know some people might know kind of your history, but I'm sure a lot of people don't know anything about your playing history or kind of how you got started with sports and things like that. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. I mean, so I grew up in New York on Long Island and I was a multi-sport guy. Um, like most people my age, I'm 48 and, you know, played a different sport every season and then played three others, just pickup style pond hockey and <laughs> lacrosse and basketball and things like that. And um, really in high school, I decided that soccer was my path and ended up, you know, doing well, played division one collegiate soccer, played pro for a while, but I had some bad injuries and decided to get into coaching in my mid twenties cause I couldn't really play anymore and, um, coached high school, coached college division one, and then coached youth. And I really found my niche. I love coaching kids and I love especially coaching sort of middle school age kids. Um, I just did finished a three year stint. I'm still coaching these days. I work with my local club. I get like a young coach who does a is my assistant for a year and does like a mentorship year where I help them and teach them methodology and, and all the things that you don't learn in coaching school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just did a three year stint with middle school girls. And just now I'm six months into another three year stint with uh, middle school boys. So right. um, it's fun. That's the age I really like to coach. Oh, yeah. God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good age though. You're right. It's, it's, it's probably, a, what have you found to be kind of challenging about middle school and what do you find the most rewarding about that? Well, they're both really different, you know, when uh, we're talking about coaching boys and girls and that's not to say that one's better than the other or anything like that. But, you know, like here's like a perfect example. Um, you, since Alec, you're a soccer guy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this age where kids can start heading a ball, right? Now for, you know, two years, I tried to get the girls to head a ball. And by the end of two years, uh, you know, some of them would not head a ball unless it bounced twice off a throw in and then maybe they'd stick their head on it, you know, and and it's like, you know, and so I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to teach this better so I can build the boys confidence and, um, you know, come in and introduce this right away in a way that they're not going to be afraid. And like on day one, they're like, punt it higher, <laughs> kick it, <laughs> yeah. you know? And I'm like, okay, well, we're not going to have to cover that for very long. <laughs> Let's move on. Yeah. So, you know, it's just like, these are, these are differences. And, uh, you know, I think that is such a tough age for a kid, middle school, you're, you're gaining this identity. You have all these, you know, hormones, you're, you're growing your, so your body is all funky and awkward. Um, and it's such an important age for coaches because kids can really lose confidence because something someone says to them at school, because they're not as, they're not popular all of a sudden because they used to be good and now they're going through a growth spurt and they're in pain all the time. Mm -hmm. They can't run or they can't 
perform a skill. And so, man, I think that's when coaches come in and really teach them about perspective and, and patience and catch them being good and, and, you know, really be really, really intentional about, um, you know, how a kid is leaving the field every day, whether they're feeling good about themselves or bad about themselves and how much fun those kids are having. Um, because middle school is, is tough. Yeah. <laughs> so practice should be fun. Right. <laughs> yeah. It needs to be kind of in a way a sanctuary from a lot of the, the difficult social prep pressures they're maybe not used to and a place where they can feel safe. I think, I think that's important for a junior. And those things pop up on the field too. And, and as a coach, you can be really intentional about talking about team and this is a family and we have to support each other. And, um, you know, for girls, it's really how to hold each other accountable and, and, and speak up to your teammate and not worry that she's going to be angry at you because we've agreed that this is how we do things here. And for boys, um, maybe not, Right. Share every thought that's going through your head because some of them are cruel. <laughs> right. You know, and then it's just, you know, it's sure. Just, it's just really different, yeah. but both fun. Yeah. What do you think is the most important lesson you've learned, you know, from your sports experience? Maybe taught to you by a coach or maybe someone else. What, what sticks, stands out to you in your journey? Oh, man, I that's a great question. I think. I don't know if it's the perfect word, but just perseverance, Hmm. right? Just, just keep going, keep working at stuff. Like if you love it, if you're passionate about it, um, it's not supposed to come easy. So just keep showing up. And, you know, for me, like I was a late bloomer. So everyone grew before I did. And I had to persevere through that. And then I had, you know, some really bad injuries and I had to persevere through, through those. And, you know, I had, as I cut my teeth in the coaching world, there was, um, some some years where my uh, tax return was very unimpressive and I had to persevere <laughs> through that to follow what I love. And, yeah. um, you know, and I think about that too. I mean, writing a book, right. I just finished writing another book and um, you know, you got to show up every day for a couple hours and put words on paper. And some days, you know, it takes a long time before you're like, you feel like you're making any progress. Um, mm-hmm. But sport teaches you to, to show up and do it again and do it again. And, um, eventually, you know, as my friend, John Treen says, uh, uh, if you love the journey, the journey will eventually love you back. And, uh, I have, that's writing a book and that's getting good at anything that you do. Yeah. Hmm. Hey, John, tell us more about the book. What's it called? Where can people get it? When can people get it? We'll get, give you a chance to plug that thing. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Awesome. So I am super excited about this book. This is the culmination of, you know, two and a half years of podcast interviews, plus a ton of research and stuff. And and so the book is called Every Moment Matters, how the world's best coaches inspire their athletes and build championship teams. And so, you know, from Wave Champions podcast, we've had everyone from top youth developers at Manchester United up to Steve Kerr on the podcast, right? Talking about what are the common things they do to create culture, to connect with their players, to um, design and run great practices, to make sure people learn, to find their purpose, find their why. I mean, you know, I know, Ryan, you're a huge fan of Joe Ehrman, and we've had Joe and Jody Redman on the podcast talking about that and the sort of social contract of sports. So Mm -hmm. this is all weaved into a book that is based on, you know, something that 
Joe and I talked about, which is these sort of four questions of understanding why do I coach? Why do I coach the way that I coach? Or I call that, how do I coach? The third one, which I think few coaches ever consider is how does it feel to be coached by me? And then how do I define success? And so that's the four parts of the book. Um, and then each of them has lots of subparts, whether it's how to find your purpose, how to help your team find a purpose higher than winning to, you know, there's sections on how people learn and how to design great practices to coaching boys versus girls. What's the difference coaching your own kid that doesn't get covered very much. And yet so many people coach their own kid. Um, and, uh, and then how do you create culture? How do you have standards and not rules? And uh, how do you engage parents so that they're part of the culture? So this is all in there. It was a labor of love. Um, I love to tell stories. And so each chapter begins with some pretty cool stories of, you know, from coaches that you've heard of and coaches that you haven't, I think illustrates the points. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited. It comes out December, December 10th. Cool. Just in time for Christmas. And, yeah. people, and, and, and people can find that on your website. Hey, just go to, yeah, it'll be on my website at change the game project.com or just go to Amazon. Um, you know, it's, it's going through Amazon and extended distribution as well. So it could be on Barnes and Noble, any other, any other bookstore as well. Well, wow. you hit on something that Alec and I were actually talking about um, prior to, to, to having you on with us today, this idea of a purpose higher than winning. And, and that was one of the many things that you mentioned as you were describing your book, but I want to zero in on that if we could for just a little bit. That idea mm -hmm. of a purpose higher than winning, because I am a firm believer, and I'd love to get your, your thoughts, your take on this. I'm a firm believer that those who have a purpose higher than winning are far more, far more likely to win, basically for that reason. Um, you know, what I told Alec was, I don't want my kids coached by somebody that doesn't want to win or that isn't working to win, but I also don't want my kids being coached by somebody who's, you know, basically who's highest priority is winning um, because I have seen uh, that it's not an either or that when we do have that purpose higher than winning, the, the winning will flow from that. Um, talk about that. Yeah. Would. Yeah. The 100% agree. And, you know, in, in the book, I mean, I share, these are stories that Steve Kerr talks about having a higher purpose than winning. Right. And he's done okay. And, um, I mean, we had Cindy Timschel, the all-time winningest lacrosse coach, talking about higher purpose than winning. Anson Dorrance, all-time winningest women's soccer coach. Mm -hmm. Nancy Stevens, all-time winningest field hockey coach in NCAA history. Right? They're all talking about a higher purpose than winning. Um, Tony DiCicco won a World Cup and Olympic gold medal. So, so I think this is so important. And, and your purpose can be different things, right? Um, I, I talk about messiah college men's and women's soccer who have won 16 national titles since the year 2000 and their higher purpose than winning is a, it's a christian purpose right and and to show um their their respect and, and and love of god through how hard they play and how hard they compete and how well they treat each other and everyone that they play um whereas someone else's higher purpose can be um you know i have a friend in canada who created this thing called go play better where um you get you know you 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 raise money for a charity through technical goals like 200 passes in a soccer game or passing back to your goalkeeper 20 times or something like that 
And, and he's like, you know, how can a parent be mad when the team lost, but they just raised 50 bucks for breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so I think when we find that higher purpose, um, when we're, when we're outcome aware, but, you know, driven by purpose and driven by process, you're exactly right. You actually win a lot more by not talking about winning. It worked for John Wooden. Um, and it works for most of these coaches as well. Almost everyone I would say rarely talks about winning and they win more than anyone else. Why do you think that is though, that, um, the focus on winning in reality leads to a lot of times less winning. Um, why do you think that is? Sure. Yeah. Well, when you think about something like winning, it's out of your control. Okay. Right. So you can't control winning. Right. I mean, the three of us have probably a lot of years of combined coaching experience on here. You can't teach winning. There's no such thing. Right. If you could teach winning, everyone would teach winning. Right. <laughs> so you can do what, what you do. What we talk about all the time is what you can teach and create is competing. Right. And when you compete hard every day and your practices are just, you know, you're flying about and, and really a high, high standard you're going to win a lot because you're really good at practice. And so um, the thing is when the coach comes, we have to win no matter what, what does that do? It it turns the focus on things you don't control like referees and weather and how good your opponent is turns the focus off of the things you do control, like your attitude and your effort and your preparation, your sleep and your food. Right. And so that lowers your confidence and um, it, it raises stress and anxiety. Whereas when you talk about, okay, what is everything that you control, which is competing, and have you, maxim- have you optimized this? Have you optimized that? Have you optimized that? You can go in feeling very confident and like, hey, I own a lot of this. I, I control so many things here. And so that's the sort of mindset. That's the approach that the best coaches take. And it's the approach that will lead to a lot more wins. Um, and again, especially those of us in youth sports, I mean, we're in sport for development, right? I can take most any right. nine-year-old soccer team and, and win most of my games. If I just put the fastest kid up front and the kid who kicks it the farthest in the back and just whap balls over the top all day long. Yeah. I'll probably win, but you know, for what purpose? Because in three years, none of those kids will be good enough to play anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Hey, John, I got one for you then. So yeah. all your travels, and, and, I, I, and obviously we love what you're, uh, you are speaking our language, my man. <laughs> Tell us uh, anecdotally, if you can, something that you've seen maybe in the last 12 months that you have found particularly encouraging, and then same question, but something maybe in the last 12 months that you have found particularly discouraging um, that you've seen or heard uh, in your travels, in your speaking, in your coaching, ready, go. Yeah. So I'll start with the second one first so I can end on something positive. Um, <laughs> but, <clears throat> you know, just on my trip last week overseas, I got an email from the dad of a former player of mine. She's a 14-year-old girl, a high school freshman, and she's decided this year to referee. And um, he emailed me because he's like, John, we got to do something here. You know, you know, I won't use her name. She came off the field the other day in tears, trying to referee a 11 year old boys game or something, 10 year old, and 11 year old boys game. And the opposing coach, not our club, 
was just going ballistic on her the whole time. And, and, and he said, you know, our coach was like, dude, what are you doing? It's a, you know, these are U 11 boys, like relax. And, and this guy is just going off. And, um, and, and, you know, she, she walked off the field in, in tears and she's a first year official. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's the kind of stuff that just kills me because, you know, we have referee shortages all over this country now because of behavior like that. Yeah. And, you know, 80% of these first year officials don't come back. And this dad's like, you know, I shouldn't be afraid for my kid to go to work. You know, if she was working at Subway, I wouldn't be afraid for her health, but I'm afraid when she goes to ref. And and so this to me is so discouraging and really we need clubs and, um, leagues to have zero tolerance for things like that right that league should there's so many witnesses should step in and be like coach thanks see you later you're done because that is unacceptable yeah right yeah and 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 so this to me is really discouraging that we have grown adults treating young officials because they're getting 15 bucks for a game right like absolute dirt and and it's really really disgusting um and and so that that would be my discouraging thing that's still happening i'm glad you didn't i'm glad you didn't end with that (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) exactly you know the good the good news for me is that i I really feel this momentum shift that you know the pendulum uh, swung very far in one direction of early specialization and and over the top, right? We, yeah, I can still find a seven-year-old AAU national basketball championship, however stupid that is. Mm-hmm. But I feel like yeah. there's a lot of pushback against that kind of stuff now, right? And I think parents are finding a voice and coaches are finding a voice. And what I'm getting is a lot of people reaching out to me saying, hey, I'm starting up this multi-sport club, right? Where we're not making kids choose. We're just, you know, they sign up for us and they get three seasons of three different sports. And these people who are signing up uh, like free play places, right. Where, where kids can just show up and play and, and get that joy of sport back in. And so we're finally getting this pushback. And I think because the business of sport took it one way, it'll probably be the business of sport that takes it another way. But, um, the business I think will solve the problem because I think there's a lot of people asking for something different. And I feel like people now are able to step up and offer some different stuff. And I think that's really good. Yeah, no, that is, that's great. And and you use the word now for the second time that I wanted to highlight. Uh, You used it, I don't know, about 10 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago, but you talked about giving parents permission to, you know, to embrace what, what is probably already inside of them to, to give them what they, you know, for them to, to have the permission to, to pursue what they already want for their children, which is for them to enjoy the sport and to feel loved. Um, and yeah, as they get older in age appropriate ways to learn to compete at higher levels and all of that and develop their skills. Um, but I love that idea of giving people permission. You talked about how, you know, researching your book and now you, you know, you can, you can talk, talk about how, uh, as an author and a speaker, you have this credibility um, and people, now because of that can can do what they've already known was right what they've always known was right all along that's pretty cool yeah they can grab a book they can cite you know when i started the blog it was like 
like I say to any organization, any blog post, you can reprint it in your newsletter, right? Just put back a link where it came from, but share it. That's why it's we, there, right? I want people. Yeah. We've yeah, done you've that done it, right? You've done that, right? Yeah. And it's like, that's what it's there for. It's not to hide on my blog. It's like, get out there, share it, share good information. You know, there's research links. I didn't just wake up in the morning and make this up. And so, right. um, I, you know, I want parents to hold boards accountable and say, you know, wait a sec, why are we sending our, you know, the, the author, David Epstein, just wrote this great new book, Range, and he was talking about oh, being yeah. a generalist. And, uh, you know, he was telling me uh, on the podcast, he was like, you know, John, I, I, I used to live in Brooklyn and there was a seven year old travel soccer team down you know that practice at the park four days a week next to my apartment he goes i find it really hard to believe that a group of six and seven year olds in a city of 10 million people can't find a game right that (laughs) they have to travel right right. (laughs) you know and and this is it and and parents are scared and they're like god we got to sign up for this or or you know we're stuck and and i think this is what we're we're trying to get to people like no you that's not the that's not that's probably the least likely pathway to high achievement right it's a great it's a great pathway to be the best eight-year-old but it's not a great pathway to be playing at 18 right um let me jump in here one of the things you talk about is that um kids aren't always getting better they're actually getting bitter um Mm. that sometimes the sports experience can be really a race to nowhere what do you what do you mean by that um can you kind of unpack that a little bit yeah and we've touched on that a little bit right if we have three quarters of kids quitting organized sports and you know massive rise in inactivity and obesity and things like that Right. If kids, I've yet to meet a parent who begs their kid to play more Fortnite. Right. So the mm-hmm. kids can be engaged if we have the right principles and the right environments and um, sport can be better. And I really think I, I've, I, I have yet to meet a kid who comes to practice, especially the kids I work with going, coach, can we please stand in line today? <laughs> right. So it's like, you know, this is this is so important. Right. So my over my my number one core value for the kids that I coach is joy right that what the, I love to coach and I love sport and I think when kids show up there should be joy now joy is not the absence of hard work right it's hard you're held to a high standard you're held accountable but we do it through games and we do it through game-like activities so that the kids are running and playing and moving and they're not standing around and and then they go, is, coach. What's is practice already over? To me, that's like, all right, we nailed that one, right? right? And 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 this is what I think it should be every single day. And if kids, if you're doing that, if you're, you know, and these aren't mindless scrimmages; these are teaching games with constraints and things like that. But um, you know, if you're doing that, kids aren't getting bitter. They're like, that's what I want to do. Right. And I always look at it like, man, if one of my kids decides that they'd rather play lacrosse than soccer, I don't look at that as like, oh, those lacrosse jerks. I'm like, wow, how cool that they're making this more enjoyable than me. They must be doing a good job over there. Fair play to them. I should go watch their practice. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so. So what do you think is the main thing that makes it? What do you what do you think is the main thing that makes it a race to nowhere or a meaningful race? Like what makes it meaningful, truly? Well, it's this race to the bottom, right? So if if your eight-year-old is 
playing eight months of soccer. Well, then my seven-year-old is going to play 10 and get a private coach. And then, well, we're going to form an all-star team of six-year-olds, right? And so mm-hmm. it's just more, more, more younger, younger, younger that goes against the the science and chases after this, you know, super damaging 10,000-hour myth and things like that, that really, you know, again, they don't benefit the kids. And so, you know, when kids lose ownership, when they lose enjoyment, then they lose intrinsic motivation. And I think the worst thing, you know, the most highly motivated creature on the planet besides a puppy is like a 12 year old boy, or it should be. And when I see them walking around like as zombies because they're overscheduled and uh, exhausted and they haven't had a break. Um, so it's, it's, it's just, that's the kind of stuff right. that just goes, ah, to me mm-hmm. right yeah it's, it's it's almost like people um they're working so hard to get somewhere and then they forget where they're going yeah they're they're chasing after short-term thing after short-term thing but i think if you ask them to take a deep breath and and say well what's the end right that's one of the things i wrote about in my book changing the game was begin at the end like what, what, what's the end goal for all this? And I think for most parents deep down, you don't know, want my son or daughter to be a great human being, to learn how to work hard, to learn how to work with others, to be healthy, to be active. I don't, I don't think most parents are out there going, you know, scholarship pro contract. They get a bad rap for that. But then it's like your actions follow your intentions, right? If your Mm -hmm. intentions is this, are you signing them up for a sporting program that's in alignment with that? Are you signing them up for a sporting program that's direct opposition to the things that you say you value? And, And this is where I think parents, our job is to do our homework and, and find sport organizations that really do make it about the kids. And if I live in a small town and there's only one baseball club my kid loves baseball. Well, then run for the board, right? Coach a team, do it right. These are the things that I think um, we can we can do better. And if I live in a big city, do your homework and don't just sign up for the first place team um, with you know the abusive coach and the one who doesn't play the last five kids on the bench. Um, you know, sign up for the one that's got the long term vision. Yeah. Um- I was going to ask you, you have this phrase that you use a lot, like that you encourage parents to use, um, which is uh, telling your kids, I love watching you play. Can you talk about like why you think that phrase is so important? And is that something that coaches should think about using with their teams as well? So I think it's, you know, first of all, I I take no credit for coining that. Um, I learned it first, first speaker I heard say it was Bruce Brown from proactive coaching. And um, it's such an incredibly important and powerful thing, but I mean, I'm pretty sure it's in the Bible, right? (laughs) Like love watching your kids do stuff, you know, love, love, just love your kids. Um, And it's just very powerful because it, you know, frees them from the burden of being responsible from your, for your happiness as a parent. Right. So it enables you to take that step back and just say, I love watching you compete. And I'm proud of the fact that you're out there and, um, you know, let's go mm-hmm. get lunch instead of, you know, turning it into an inquisition. Yeah. Um, the, the, um, you know, as a coach. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, well, there's nothing wrong with saying, I love watching you guys play, right? I love watching you guys compete. I'm super proud of you. Hey, we're learning. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, I, I found that actually as a coach, the less I say after games when we don't do well, the better, um, because usually the things that come out of my mouth might not be so uh, constructive, right? I, I always say it's kind of like vomit. I feel better and everyone else feels worse. So, you know, I think it's important that sometimes as coaches, we just recognize, have that self-awareness that, you know what, I'm a little emotional right now. I'm a little frustrated. Is there anything I absolutely positively have to say at this moment that I can't say before practice um, or in the hotel tonight or whenever that is, when actually they'll, the kids will be ready to learn because this is not a teachable moment. Um, so yeah. just loving your kids. And, you know, I've just gotten better at saying, hey, guys, you know what? today's was not our day. Let me think about this and I'll see you in the hotel tonight and let's talk about it. I'd like you to think about it as well. Right. Yeah, that's and then good. they're like, give yourself yeah. a little time before you, like, if you don't have something constructive to say as a coach, maybe don't say anything, you know, if you can't find a way and make it meaningful and constructive, it's like, just wait. Yeah. Just wait, just yeah. wait. Right. Because kids get over it and, and they also do want to learn, right. They're out there and they're like, teach me coach, but, but don't, I already feel lousy that we lost five, nothing. Right. 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 What are you, you're going to make me feel worse. Like, how's that going to help me? Right. Right. You know, right now I just like lunch. Yeah. (laughs) You need a little time. So, um, can you share with us kind of what you think separates a transformational coach from other coaches? Well, obviously this idea of transformational versus transactional, um, is, I think uh, a really important one. And I think for me, a a transformational coach is one who puts the needs of the athlete first, right? Who's in front of me and and what do they need from me? Um, Then, you know, by extension, their parents and, and their families, right? I think if you're in youth sport and you're working in a club environment or a school environment, it should be a transformational experience for everybody involved, Right. Which means mm-hmm. communicating with parents and, and helping them understand the values and how we do things. And then, um, you know, and then, you know, as opposed to a transaction, which is you signed up, we're going to try to win all our games so I can pad my resume and coach a higher level team. Yeah, that's a transaction. Right. And I think transformational coaches get the best out of their athletes and transactional coaches can get something short term out of fear, but um, rarely um, get long term performance because fear is not as powerful as love and respect is. Yeah, it's good. Well, John, thanks so much for coming on. Um, can you share with us one more time where when your book's coming out and where people can get that again and just the title and all that? Yeah, sure. So. The new book's called Every Moment Matters, How the World's Best yeah. Coaches Inspire Their Athletes and Build Championship Teams. December 10th is the projected release date. I always say just go to Amazon first because yeah. they always get it stuff sure. first and then uh, go from there. Or you can just come to changeinthegameproject.com. That's the mothership. You'll see it on there as well. And um, I am 
um, happy to send you a signed copy that way, hopefully in time for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. And that's where way of champions is the podcast as well. And you yeah. can find that at changeinthegameproject.com or iTunes, Stitcher, all those fun places. It's great. I've listened to it. It's a great podcast. A lot of great stuff. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Well, John, always, always great to talk with you. Um, thank you again for your time. This conversation has been enlightening, uh, and just, we love you and the work that you're doing. So keep up the great work. Thanks a lot. Well, I echo that, uh, guys, I love the work that you're doing. I think community for coaches is a great example of how you impact and, and make change in your own community. Uh, you know, family by family, coach by coach, school by school. And yeah. so I love what you're doing and, uh, and, um, huge fans of your work as well. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much. Big thanks to John O'Sullivan for joining us this week on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Ryan and I obviously really enjoyed the conversation. And also make sure you check out the podcast show notes. We will put links in there to the Changing the Game Project website and also John's book, Every Moment Matters. Uh, we look forward to having you join us again next time.